Um, so on that note, I went to see Next to Normal at the Arts Club uh, last week and got exactly that. Now, I, I do have to hand it to them on one level, and that is that they took subject matter, which is quite interesting. That is to say, a family struggling with mental illness, where the mother in the family is um, uh, struggling with bipolar disorder um, related to the death of her son, um, and then has to go to a psychiatrist, and there's shock therapy involved. So, and this is a musical, right? So, okay, this automatically, it sounds interesting. You're taking some pretty serious issues of uh, mental illness and then making a musical out of it. Surely that is going to be provocative and interesting and stimulating. But the folks at the Arts Club have managed to take an interesting subject and suck the life right out of it and make it uh, mediocre and uh, ho-hum, pedestrian, boring, average, middle-class, um, and that was really depressing. Yeah, really depressing. So I'm sad about that because people are pay, people have to pay a lot of money to see shows at the Arts Club or the Playhouse, for example. And time and time again, the stuff that they produce at those places is frankly not as good as shows that you get from people like New World or Pie Theatre that do produce really awesome and stimulating and challenging work, often for a fraction of the price. So if you're a consumer of good quality performing arts, why the hell would you spend all that money to go see a piece of crap at uh, the Arts Club when you can spend uh, less than half and see something that's actually going to challenge you and stimulate you? And, uh, and, and oftentimes, uh, subject matter that's related to your daily life in this city. Case in point... Um, a show called Visions of Vancouver, which I checked out last night and which is still happening right now at, um, at uh, the CBC Studio 700. It's going on until the 15th, uh, nightly until the 15th, so that's until this Saturday. And it was four, four stories about Vancouver in the style of like uh, Paris Je t'aime, New York I Love You. So very loosely connected, but all connected to the theme of, uh, of Vancouver. And... It was hilarious. Uh, one example is they did a, a piece on uh, condo life. So they were making jokes about, uh, you know, how your fob only gets you to your floor and uh, little witty insights about, uh, about the strata rules and how, you know, they have this guy reading in a robotic voice about how, you know, you cannot leave uh, dog excrement on your balcony or you will be fined $200. You know, and so it's, it's refreshing it's stimulating, it's relevant to anybody who lives in a condo in Vancouver like I do, so you automatically feel for it. Then another piece was about the Vancouver riots. What could be more relevant and timely? They, they had four uh, sort of monologues interspersed and four different perspectives on the riots from beginning, middle, to end. There was like an immigrant woman who brought her kids to the game. There was uh, a police officer. There was a hardcore hockey fan. And then like a woman who, who jumped... On, um, on a bandwagon. Oh, and yeah, so, so they just, they do good work, and that's pie theater. And so if you want to see something good, skip the Playhouse, skip the Arts Club. I'm sorry, guys, but you're not making good work. 
Um, you're taking very professional uh, set pieces and a very lovely theater and very good actors. You're taking awesome actors and you're doing mediocre work with them. And so why should I support that? I shouldn't. Whereas Pi is doing awesome work and with also with great actors in interesting, unique venues and, and pumping out very stimulating and avant-garde uh, products. So check that out. So go and see Visions of Vancouver. If you're a Vancouver resident, you will get a kick out of it. You will laugh. You will cry. Or maybe you won't cry, but you will definitely laugh and you, it'll, you will think. You will think. So check that out. It's uh, tickets range from uh, $10 to, I believe, eighteen fifty. They are available from Vancouver Ticks, which is VancouverTIX.com. And uh, wait a minute. What am I reading here? Is this the wrong information? No, no, it is not. Sorry. <laughs> For a second, I thought I was giving information on Next Normal. But, uh, but no, I'm talking about uh, Visions of Vancouver. And uh, that's playing until the, till the 15th at 8 p.m. And, um, and uh, also there are matinees on the 15th. And the ninth, the ninth has passed. Okay. Uh, also, one more note about that is that they, the the format of uh, Visions Vancouver is sort of uh, radio drama esque. So you know, I, I actually didn't notice uh, too often in the show that it didn't feel like a radio play. It wasn't like people sitting around, uh, you know, four stuffy people around a radio desk. It was it was still very lively and theatrical. But they just had microphones, big mi- microphones, all over the set. And the reason they had that is because they will be taking the uh, content and putting up on their on their uh, website. I believe it's pietheater.com. So check out the recordings, and it'll give you a, a preview of what you'll see at uh, at the show. You see what I mean? That's avant-garde. It's interesting. It's challenging. It's stimulating. It's everything that the Arts Club is not doing right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's my rant of the day. I hope, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there will be shows from the Arts Club and the Playhouse that uh, won't suck. Like, for example, the Arts Club is doing uh, the Penelopeiad, which is based on a book by Margaret Atwood. That seems interesting. That seems like a stimulating topic. Maybe will they be able to mediocritize uh, that show and make it dull and pedestrian? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, rest assured, it will cost a lot of money, though. Ah, man, this strep throat is just making me uh, surly. I just feel like such a jerk. But uh, but honestly, it's like you pay so much money to see theater, and then you get crap. Okay, that's very sad. All right, let's move on uh, to Diwali. Let's move on to something more uh, positive. Uh, and that is the Indian Festival of Lights. The Vancouver Celebrates Diwali Festival uh, focuses on Southeast Asian culture, including music, dance, visual art, and yes, food. This year's festival, the 8th annual, offers a wide variety of experiences and lets you explore Indian culture in your own backyard. Uh, Opri Kang is the co-chair of the festival, and here she is to tell us more about it. So uh, Diwali is a festival of lights um, originating in India, but uh, celebrated all the world over. And uh, the uniqueness of it is that it's actually celebrated by all walks of uh, Indians, uh, be it Hindus or Sikhs. So it's a very um, common and unifying uh, festival. And overall, what it means is it's the festival of good over evil, light over darkness, and just the universal light and goodness that exists in all of us and in all situations, and, and it's a celebration of that. Hmm. And how is it typically uh, celebrated in India? Well, in India, and uh, and really all over, um, it, it's a right. time to get together with your family and friends. 
Um, you know, lots of sweets for me, lots of good food and uh, that's shared with all of your loved ones. Um, there can be a range of, you know, celebrations in various temples, uh, special prayers are held, and also special parties. Um, it's just a time to, um, you know, rejuvenate the soul and rejuvenate your relationships and, and get reconnected and reaffirmed with the, the power of light and the power of goodness. The phrase, light your spirit, is, is that like the theme? Well, yes. Um, you know, light your, light your spirit really comes from uh, the dia is a um, universal symbol for Diwali mm-hmm. uh, because that's, that's the light um, that's, you know, an, in an oil sort of light in the clay uh, dia. And so, you know, to light your spirit, it's about illuminating yourself to the happiness and joy of, of life. Hmm. And there are all kinds of events going on in the city. Is it open to uh, anybody of any uh, religion and race? Yes, absolutely. The, this is uh, this entire city celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not just a solely Indian festival. It's meant to be open and welcome to everyone. And um, as such, we have a variety of programming as well to be able to appeal to different people's um, interests. There's family programming at the various community centers throughout the city, um, you know, where you can take your kids and, and, you know, older kids as well, adults, and, uh, you know, do some dia painting or uh, learn some background and stories about uh, Diwali. Cool. Yeah. Now, there are, there are so many things going on, so I want to ask you about a few in particular. For example, uh, workshops. There are all kinds of workshops going on. Can you give me a sense of that? Yeah. So the workshops are going on in all the community centers, and they're free to um, the public. So, you know, definitely check out your local community center and see what days uh, they'll be going on. They'll be starting this Saturday, the 15th, and running till the 23rd. Um, and those workshops are, you know, an opportunity for you to come in, learn about the Bali, see some performances, uh, participate in some arts and crafts as well, and just kind of get familiarized and also do your, you know, hopefully annual celebration at the community center. Hmm. Okay, and another one is Chai House on Main Street. What is that? Yeah, we're really excited um, with the Chai House. And what that is, is an opportunity for us to showcase the um, huge and massively talented South Asian artists that exist um, in the Lower Mainland and Vancouver in particular. Uh, for example, we have uh, the you know um, Juno and Grammy award-winning uh, Chin Jetty, uh, who has worked with the likes of you know Snoop Dogg and his own work as well. He is going to be participating in that as well, as, along with some other local and emerging artists as well. And it's just, you know, it's going to be a really fun night at the Heritage Hall. And is there a sort of grand finale, or is there any sort of thing that that caps it all off at the end? Yes, um, every year, and it keeps getting bigger and better, um, is we have our sort of uh, finale uh, program, if you will, at uh, uh, the Roundhouse Community Center in Yale Town, uh, very easily accessible by SkyTrain and walking. Um, and that's the Diwali downtown event starting at noon, running till 6 p.m. And uh, that's basically, it's, it's, we take over the entire roundhouse. We have performances and we have, you know, once again, it's a little bit uh, uh, opportunities for people to participate in arts and crafts, to buy stuff, to eat, of course, what celebration without food. <laughs> so uh, that's Diwali downtown next Sunday on October 23rd. Great. Uh, well, thanks so much for giving us a rundown of those. Is, is there anything else you'd want to add about uh, about the festival? 
Um, well, you know, you mentioned earlier that this is our eighth annual festival, and, you know, I'm happy to say that, you know, over the years that I've been involved, I have definitely seen the uh, same, uh, you know, people returning and also new faces coming. And it's so nice uh, to be out in the community and hear about the festival, not just from, you know, South Asians that are in the community, which, you know, it is important for us to celebrate our heritage, but it really is a festival that's been embraced by the entire city. And it's, uh, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to come together and celebrate. And so I hope everyone takes a, an opportunity to take advantage of the programming we've put together. And that is Opreet Kang telling us about Vancouver's Celebrates Diwali, Light Your Spirit. And that is happening from October the 15th until the 23rd. And there is so much going on that I cannot possibly cover it all, but there are workshops happening throughout the, the 15th to the 23rd at various locations and times. Check website for details. There's also the Dance All Sorts Diwali Style, and that's on Sunday. Uh, October 16th at 2 p.m. at the Roundhouse. That's a partnership with um, Toronto-based contemporary Cathar dancer. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm going to mispronounce this. Bageshrivaze? Okay. Well, I'm going to stop pronouncing names. Uh, there's also uh, Diwali Bright Lights, which is on next Tuesday, October the 18th at the Heritage Hall. There's the Chai House on Main Street and, of course, the Diwali Downtown. Uh, which is on Sunday, October the 23rd, from noon until 6 p.m., which uh, brings uh, brings it all together. So uh, see the names of all the artists for yourself. Don't let me mangle them by going to vandiwali.ca, which is V-A-N-D-I-W-A-L-I, vandiwali.ca, and get the full rundown of events. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to tell you about uh, something happened on the way to the forum. So stay with us. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts in the UBC Westside area at The Australian Boot Company, Banyan Books, The Bike Kitchen, The Eatery, Fresh's Best Salsa, Gargoyle's Grill, Gumdrops, Prussian Music, Rufus's Guitar Shop, and the UBC Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. Vancouver's Fighting Chance Productions is doing a Broadway show called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, with music by, um, oh boy, sorry, I don't have the name in front of me, um, Sondheim, what's his first name, sorry, it's not uh, in my head right now, <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing, uh, but a funny thing on the way, happened on the way to the Forum is, is a show that um, takes comedy back to its roots, it says, combining situations from time-tested 2,000-year-old comedies of Roman playwright Plotus with the infectious energy of classic vaudeville uh ryan mooney is in the show uh but he is also the artistic director of uh fighting chance uh, productions and so i spoke to him about the show which is uh sort of halfway through its run and uh here 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 he is answering the question um as to why people should see a show um like this you know um in vancouver in 2011 what's uh, what is a show like this um why is it worth watching? 
Well, we, um, you know, I, I think it's really important to, you know, realize that theater does have the ability to, you know, really impact people's lives and, and, you know, get them thinking about stuff, but also that a lot of times people just want an escape and just want the opportunity to just go and sit, you know, sort of turn their brains off for a little while and just laugh. And, yes. um, and I think, you know, you could say, okay, well, with everything going on in the world today, that, that that's really important um you know i think that uh that it's just fun sometimes to just go have a good laugh not have to uh worry about anything and and just enjoy you know two hours of your life and uh and i really think that that's what that's what we're able to do with with this particular show great and you're in the show as well i am yes is that is that a rare is that a rare thing Yes. Well, um, so I'm the artistic director of Fighting Chance, yeah. and so basically I usually direct the shows. Um, but I, I sort of missed being on stage a little bit, so I was sort of looking for a show that, that would would work for me. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm in it, and uh, singing and dancing and goofing off. And, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely been a, an eye-opening experience, but it's been really, really fun. I've had a, a great time with it so far. Cool. And tell us about your character. Who do you play? So I play Pseudalist, who is a slave, and uh, it was a role that's been played by Zero Mostel and Nathan Lane, and, um, you know, they did a, a version where it was a woman, and it was Whoopi Goldberg, so, you know, um, a lot of sort of big, talented comedians, um, so that was scary, but he basically, he wants more than anything to be free, he wants to not have to be a slave anymore, and um, an opportunity presents itself that if he can... Uh, get his master, um, this particular girl that he's interested in, um, that his master will free him. So the play sort of revolves around him trying to make that happen and all of the sort of crazy things that that get in his way um, as he's trying to do that. Right. And uh, I was just reading uh, before we got on the phone uh, your review in the in the Georgia Strait. You must uh, yeah. you must feel uh, be feeling pretty good about uh, Colin Thomas's uh, quite positive um, review. Yeah, it's um, it's very nice. I mean, I really take reviews, good reviews, the same as I take bad ones. I mean, it's it's certainly very nice um, to have good things said, but you know, as a director, I've had bad things said, and you know, you have to sort of say, well, you know what, I I did the best I could with this, and maybe they didn't see what what I saw, but um, but you know, I'm I'm not going to change that. But yes, it's certainly very nice to read, especially because I haven't acted in so long. Um, very nice to to sort of read that and uh but also for the other people involved in the show who are all having such a good time it's it's really you know i'm always very happy when i when we're doing a show and other people get called out in in positive ways Mm because it really makes me feel good about giving them the opportunity to be able to do that Hmm. and uh i'm paraphrasing here but one thing he did say was was that um everybody on stage is having so much fun and that that it becomes sort of infectious um that's a big part yeah Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, so the people on the show, especially those who I interact with, you know, first and foremost, most of them I've known for at least five years each. And so when I I decided I wanted to do this part, I sort of started to think about some of the people that I would love to have in the show. And I started making some phone calls. And, you know, we all sort of have known each other. They're they're all, you know, five or ten years older than me for the most part. Um, But, uh, but, you know, we've all done stuff together in the past. And so it's sort of like a reunion of sorts. And really... I mean, we sort of go out there and, and do it for the audience, but also it's really fun to be able to do it for ourselves. I mean, we have a we're in the middle of a twenty performance run, and um, and every show it's just something new happens. It's just that sort of a show because it's so fast paced that there's always going to be, you know, a margin for error. But what's really great is the fact that we all sort of play off of the errors and have a really 
really good time doing it. Hmm. Okay, well, we've quickly run out of time. Is there anything else you'd want to mention either about this show or, or maybe anything uh, upcoming for, for Fighting Chance? Well, yeah, I mean, we have a week and a half left of this at the Jericho, and then the next show will be a Canadian premiere of a play called The Temperamentals, mm-hmm. um, which is all about uh, the first sort of gay rights movement in the in America. So very different from this show, but um, <laughs> but we try to keep it keep it opposite as much as we can. So that'll be at the Powell Theatre at the end of November. At the end of November. Great. Well, we look forward to that. Well, thanks so much for your time and uh, enjoy the rest of the run. Thanks very much, Adam. And that's Ryan Mooney from Fighting Chance. And here's what Colin Thomas said about him. Ryan Mooney makes a rare stage appearance as Pseudolus. His constrained physicality isn't quite what you expect from farce, but he's so buoyant, witty, and unflappable that he's a joy to watch. So uh, that's what the Georgia Strait said about a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, which features music by Stephen Sondheim. I forgot Stephen's name. Sorry, Stephen. Um, but uh, there you have it. So that's running until October the 22nd at 8 p.m. And that's happening at the Jericho Arts Center, which is 1675 Discovery Street in Vancouver. And tickets range from $20 to $30, and you can get them from two websites in particular. You can go to jerichoartscenter.com, or you can go to fightingchanceproductions.ca and get tickets uh, there. So check that out. It's running until October the 22nd uh, at 8 p.m. All right. So we are going to take a quick break one more time. And uh, when we return, we'll tell you about uh, a film that's uh, coming in the last uh, twilight days of the Vancouver International Film Festival. It is called Nuit Numero Un, and it's about a one-night stand, etc. So uh, saucy subject matter for you. Stay with us. The Biltmore Cabaret is your home for great live music in Vancouver. October is sure to be a busy month at the Biltmore. On October 6th, catch bands Hallow Moon, The Bleeding Hearts, and Pineapple, a supergroup featuring members of the SSRIs, Portage in the Main, and Prairie Cat. October 21st, jam out with Daydream Vacation, indie rocker Zeus, and local favorites, Sun Wizard. For fans of the new pornographers, you won't want to miss band member Catherine Calder and special guest Anime Bell on October 27th. To round out your month, October 29th brings the band Nurses all the way up from Portland to share the stage with Dominant Legs. For more information on these and other shows, including how to get tickets, visit BiltmoreCabaret.com. Well, the Vancouver International Film Festival has taken over the city since September the 29th, but it will only continue to do so until Friday, and that is sad, October the 14th. But there are still lots of films to see and uh, lots of events to check out before VIF is gone, and you can find out about that by going to viff.org slash festival and get uh, and, and find out what's going on. Uh, one such event that's going on is the film Nuit Numero Un. One Night Stands are alluring and intimidating. They are intimate and awkward, whether you've experienced one or not. Um, Anne Aimant uh, shows us how a fleeting encounter between a man and a woman escalates into a night of personal disclosures. 
And so I spoke to uh, Anne earlier today, and uh, we obviously talked about uh, the film and some of its uh, themes. And to um, start us off, here she is with uh, a synopsis of the film. Uh, yes, Nuit numéro one, it's about uh, Clara and Nicolai, two uh, strangers. They are about 30 years old, and they meet uh, in a race party. And they come back together at the Nicolas, Nicolai apartment for kind of a, a one-night stand. But um, after making love, they start to talk for the rest of the night. So the, the movie takes place in uh, one night, one apartment, and two characters. Hmm. And tell me about uh, what led you to make this film, or what was the inspiration uh, for it? Mm-hmm. It's it's a really personal movie. I cannot really hide it. So <laughs> well, <laughs> I think it, it, it's like everybody understands when they see the movie that it's kind of uh, personal. Huh. So I'm uh, I'm 29 now, and I was 27 with, uh, when I uh, wrote the movie. And I just um, woke up in the morning and realized that me and my friend were um, soon 30, 30 years old and were still acting like... Uh, big children so right. I, I wanted to write a movie about that so you wanted to write about um this sort of age group that we have um in the 21st century let's say where you're not a teenager anymore but you're not quite an adult sort exactly. of a, an extended adolescence yes it's, it's about people who are still lost and still looking for de- their place in the in this world and just don't find it and begin to think that that they are old enough but it, it it seems to me that it's really like uh, a movie for now, for our period of time. But some older people who saw the movie just told me, well, everybody goes through this kind of despair and uh, question, uh, question mark, can you say that? Or like ask, asking yourself questions about what to do mm-hmm. in your life. So I think it's not only uh, for our uh, generation. Hmm. And did that surprise you? Did you expect it to be uh, just a- about um, this generation? Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, I was afraid that I had write, um, written a movie only for like a few people who could understand. <laughs> but no, everybody understands like, uh, solitude, uh, love, and uh, hurt, and everything. So finally, I'm, I'm happy. Hmm. I, guess, I guess there is something universal about... Um, about you know uh, di- periods in one's life and and changes and, and finding yourself and and that process of discovery. I guess that 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 can happen at any age. Yes, I think so. Hmm. And um, tell me what you hope uh, people will take away from from seeing the film. Um, is it that uh, they will go to more raves and have more one night stands? <laughs> well, uh, I must admit it's kind of a hard or depressing film. I have to to admit to admit that. Right. So um, I think what people will maybe understand is that we kind of need to talk and to communicate and to be with people. It's not the beginning of a love story, but it's two really hurtful characters. And when I watch the movie now, I have the feeling that they just didn't speak to anybody for 20 years and they they have to say everything in this one night so i think what you can what you can like take it take Take away from from the movie yeah Mm -hmm. it's like probably that uh we have to share (laughs) to be with people right that um that life is about is about sharing our our uh good sides and our bad sides uh, with with other people right 
Yes, to like be in communication. Right, because I guess in the end we are social animals, aren't we? Yes, exactly. And I don't think, like, for the for my characters, everything is not uh, completely good now. They won't like become uh, perfect uh, adults in the society. But right, it's not like a live happily ever after kind no, of. No, no, exactly. Thing. But I'm sure they feel better after this night. Hmm. Well, we've quickly run out of time. Actually, is there is there anything else that you'd you'd want to add um, uh, about uh, the no, film? No, except please come see the movie <laughs> in Vancouver. <laughs> is this your first time in Vancouver? Yes. Well, welcome, welcome to our city. Thank you very much. And that's Anne Aimon, who is here in Vancouver for the first time to promote her her film uh, Nuit Numero Un. And that will be showing tonight at uh, 9.30 p.m. at Pacific Cinematheque, as well as on Friday at 4 p.m. also at Pacific Cinematheque. And they can tickets can be purchased at the door for tonight's showing, um, but are... Sorry, and they cost $12, and uh, for Friday, they are $10, and they can be purchased online for the Friday showing at viff.org slash festival. So check that out. All right. So uh, I believe we're going to take a one more quick uh, break. No, we won't, because instead I'm going to give you uh, a little heads up that Halloween is coming, and um, the people are all over town going to uh, costume shops looking for their for their costumes, and they're looking for ideas, and uh, you should be too, dang it, because uh, Halloween is, is on its way. And with Halloween comes a, a huge amount of events in Vancouver to take advantage of it. So yes, some people are going to uh, Halloween parties and clubs and such, but there's also some great uh, artistic uh, events going on, including one called Parade of Lost Souls, but also a festival. Yes, a fully-fledged festival devoted to uh, Halloween, and it's called Here Be Monsters. And probably the, the most... You know, if I had only a few seconds to tell you about something, it would be uh, the theater under the gun. And this is, uh, well, I'll read it to you. Now in its 13th year, we will be challenging Vancouver's mad indie theater companies to create original short performances under extreme time constraints. Six companies will receive an inspiration package and have 48 hours to create, write, and rehearse their play. These companies will perform over two nights, surprising our audiences with the unexpected. So I went to this last year, and, and it was really quite funny and quite um, impressive at the level of quality, considering they only had uh, you know two days to make it. And so that's happening on Friday, October the 28th, and also on Saturday, October the 29th, with uh, a sort of remix, uh, the 125 Gun Salute, a theater under the gun remix uh, at 8 p.m. on um, Sunday, October 30th. October 30th. So Halloween is on a Monday this year. That's cool, which basically means there is a four-day weekend of uh, Halloween extravaganzas. So, so dude, have a look um, at the Here Be Monsters uh, Festival. Let me give you a website. Oh, here's a big one. It's a mouthful. HereBeMonstersFestival.wordpress.com uh, check that out, and you'll get the scoop on this year's festival. One more time, from October 20 se- 27th to the 30th. Um, and that's going to be at Performance Works on Granville Island. So, yeah, look into that. It'll be great. Okay, now we are ready to take a little break. And when we return, we'll tell you about an interesting group called Vagabond Opera. Uh, so, And we'll also play a little song from them to give you an idea of what they sound like. So, So stay with us.
Old or New Testament? I think the New Testament. The question is, Pilate, remember Pilate from the New Testament? What does Pilate? He fiddled while... Yeah, no, well, just a minute. Let me ask the question, then you can give me the answer, okay? Did Pilate want Jesus to be crucified? Uh, uh, Pontius Pilate washed his hands of it. So did he want him to be crucified? Yeah. No. 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 Well, find a good church. It'll help you. Big government and big pharma have entered into a secret conspiracy in which secret government contracts are sold to big pharma that allow for secret chemicals to be placed in coffee seeds, all under the watchful eye of Big Coffee, who is secretly working with other world forces, all in a sinister plot to get alien embryos in our coffee so Big Pharma can sell us alien contraceptive pills. Or, if you'd rather get some rational news, check out Radio Free Thinker, the radio show slash podcast that promotes skepticism, critical thinking, and science education. Every Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Jazz is a word that means many different things to many different people. The best definition of jazz that I know of is THE Jazz Show on CITR with yours truly, Gavin Walker. Monday nights, 9 to midnight, with the jazz feature at 11 o'clock. Check us out every Monday. On the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. My name is Adam Yanush, and uh, we're on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. talking about arts events in Vancouver and the artists that make them happen. Uh, you can find out more about us. Uh, that is to say, you can download our podcast and follow us on Twitter and all that jazz by going to citr.ca. And uh, for example, the podcast, you just have to click on shows and then podcast, and then A for Arts Reports, and you can find us there. And uh, so a little bit later in today's show, we're going to tell you about uh, Vagab- Vagabond Opera, which is playing a show in Vancouver tonight. In fact, they are on the road as we speak, crossing the border into into Vancouver to play at the Wise Hall tonight, and we'll hear a little bit of music from them. But first, uh, we want to talk about books. Books, books, books. All right, and on today's books, uh, we're going to talk about uh, beauty plus pity. So here's uh, Megan Thomas, who is our regular books correspondent, to tell us more uh, on that one. That's by uh, Kevin Chong, and uh, so here's uh, here's Megan. 
Okay, so we are talking to Kevin Chong, author of recent novel Beauty Plus Pity. He is a professor at UBC. He uh, actually teaches in Second Life online, which is pretty amazing. He's a freelance journalist, and he's a senior editor for Joyland, hub for short fiction, a Vancouver segment. So thanks for being here, Kevin. Thanks for having me. It's been a long and crazy journey to this point. It's been a delightful journey. Okay, <laughs> good. Very scenic. Yes, definitely. You know, coffee, beer, mm-hmm. all the all the staples of the Vancouver food set. So let's talk a little bit about Beauty Plus Pity. It is your second novel, your first being Baroque Anova. Ten yes? years ago, yeah. A lot's changed, though. It uh, doesn't feel like ten years. That's really gone by quick. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely noticed some themes that crossed over. Your character, your main character, is a young man uh, looking for himself. He has a, a family that causes him some ambivalence. And, you know, he is a character that is complicated. Do you find that you are invested in, in that character? Does that represent you? Uh, to a certain degree, I started writing the first chapter of this book uh, in 2002, and I was 26, 27 at the time. And yeah, a lot of, of what I was going through ended up on the page, and, and I've been rewriting it the last couple of years after putting it down for a while. I have a different perspective as somebody who sort of... And uh, yeah, at around that time, yes, a lot of ambivalence about just being an adult and trying to figure out the impact of my family in my life and my identity apart from that. Beauty plus pity is a reference to a Nabokov quote. Uh, Basically implies that things of beauty always die, and that's essential to their beauty. That's a a big inspirational idea for the novel. Can you talk a little bit more about how that influenced your ideas of of beauty? Uh, Yeah, uh, Nabokov basically suggested that we have art because the things that are beautiful have to die because... We need to memorialize it. We need to mourn it. Art does do that. And one of the things that my book does is look at beauty on several levels. Uh, At least I try to do that. Stories about a guy named Malcolm who's uh, in his middle 20s and he's sort of feckless university graduate. And and he sort of stumbles into male modeling as a kind of stopgap profession as he figures out his life. And as he figures out his life... He meets uh, his half-sister, who's the product of, a, of an affair that uh, his father had a long time ago. What I want to discuss in, in the novel is the idea of beauty being something that is, uh, A, either uh, inherent, something that you know innately, something that you recognize even if you're from outer space and you come and you see a painting, or B, something that's developed through connoisseurship, something that you develop uh, by looking at a lot of pieces of art when there's like uh, a shared upbringing, when there's like this sort of experience between them. It's basically an argument of uh, nature versus nurture. What's interesting is that it's not the typical Asian-Canadian family where the no. parents are artists and they're insisting that Malcolm become a writer. Yeah. He wants to, or falls into, as you mentioned, becoming a male model. So you have a little bit of a different spin on the immigrant experience there. Do you want to speak to that? Well, I, I, first off, I don't think the immigrant experience is a monolith. And mm-hmm. I come from a family uh, a couple of generations back from where I have like great uncles who are writers in China. And, uh, and one of the questions that somewhat irks me is uh, uh, what my parents thought of when I became a writer. Obviously, mm-hmm. no one's excited when your child decides to be a writer. But at the same time, they weren't 
discouraging in the way that I think a lot of people expect Asian parents to be. And we're, yeah, it's, we're not. It's not a monolith. And and I know people who are. Chinese who are writers and artists and basically parents want their children to be like themselves in a lot mm-hmm. of ways mm-hmm. you know they want them to to be happy but a lot of them want them to be a lo- like them that share similar values similar uh, aspirations and in this case we have a father and a mother who are artists in a kind of a in where they don't fully achieve their dreams, but but they've made a good go at it. The father wanted to be a like a feature filmmaker, but ends up making uh, training films and commercials. Uh, the mother uh, wanted to be a great painter, but she's more like a commercial painter, and she's uh, she teaches uh, drawing classes. And it's almost like a hobby for her. They want their son to to appreciate beauty. They want their son to not be obsessed with material wealth, or uh, even though he's affluent. The son doesn't quite feel comfortable as an artist, so he rebels in his own way by being maybe one step removed from an artist, but being the sort of object of art. In a way, he's trying to get his parents to notice him by being the object for for their art. And another theme that is pretty prevalent is that of of loss, Uh, and I won't spoil anything, but the character loses a lot of things throughout his journey, and at the same time, he seems to, through that, learn maybe a little bit about what it is to care for something. Yeah, and that's so the pity. That's that's the sort of... Uh, there are a lot of sort of doubles in the story. A lot of things sort of happen twice. In between generations, beginning in the story, there are a couple of deaths in it. And I, I can't really account for uh, my morbidness. I don't know <laughs> what... I think, uh, I think Joan Didion in one of her essays talked about having this presentiment for loss and uh, I've always had that in my life when I was uh, when we got a dog my parents got a dog maybe 10 years ago and I was still living with them right after grad school I remember thinking to myself was falling in love with the dog that, oh I'm gonna be really sad when you die that's always something that happens and as I uh, as you become attached to them you have this feeling that it's gonna end and that's just that's just more my perspective on life than anything else. Vancouver is the setting for the book, um, and it does play itself, which is always lovely to read and always interesting to read. doesn't tend to be a point of reference for novels. How does Vancouver play into this novel and maybe how you write in general? I'm from here. I'm not one of those writers who really wants to set their books in a world that's very different from the one they live in. I try every once in a while. It's kind of fun to, to stretch yourself, but it hasn't been the case for me. For me, Vancouver is home, and it's also an interesting place to be Asian Canadian. I think, as I describe it in the book, it's sort of like being left-handed. You know, it's there's you're a minority, but you're a very dominant minority, and I and I enjoy that. I enjoy that the people understand these sort of cultural references. When I was younger, I had this real ambivalence about being an Asian Canadian writer. As I've gotten older, I've grown to appreciate that there are things that are about me that are Asian that aren't stereotypical. It's not like I'm preoccupied with the Lantern Festivals or uh, Chinese New Year or, or the mythology of ancient China. But I feel like my sensibility is informed by uh, being Asian in terms of my preoccupation with family, for instance, or uh, even in terms of growing up in this sort of uh, immigrant household where... Uh, I had a dinner with some friends, and, and they're all Chinese, and we were talking about what was it like to be dragged to a, one of your parents' friends' houses. They played mahjong, and how you had to stay up all night. 
And and I, one thing I remember is just going to a video store and being able to rent anything I wanted to because my parents didn't have certain cultural references. And I think that sort of informed who I am. It seems that one of the reasons Vancouver may not be such a touchstone like in New York or even in Montreal no. or Toronto is because of the feeling that some people may have about the culture here or lack thereof. And you were saying that there's culture in Vancouver, but you have to dig it up. We're the... We're like we're a place that has a lot of musicians, great swath of visual artists. We're Canada's second biggest English-speaking city, and so there there is art everywhere you look. Or but you have to be at the right places to look at them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You cannot see any art. You cannot see any culture if you're not in the right neighborhood, or you just don't know where the right people. And it's unfortunate. But I think you can say the same about even bigger cities that have. But those bigger cities might have a city square where there's like a, a festival you know, and, and there might be more outward displays. But everywhere you go, you have to kind of dig into a subculture to really find the things that speak to you. So let's talk a little bit about what you have coming up. Apart from your articles and your many reviews, you did a nonfiction book slash memoir about Neil Young. Yep. Next, you're working on a similar nonfiction slash memoir uh, centering on horse racing. Yes. And uh, tell me a little bit about uh, where that comes from. Uh, I think when I was uh, in my early 20s, I went to the track because I read a lot of Charles Bukowski short fiction. <laughs> and, and I liked the mystique and the allure of it. I like things that have this history and a grandeur that's now and are now sort of down on its heels, you know, like... Uh, rock and roll novels, you know, things that that were people are always saying that there was a heyday 30 years earlier. I don't know why it is, uh, this belatedness. Well, horse racing has gone from high culture to low culture, in a way. It's gone from this thing that, uh, you know, obsessed, people were obsessed with uh, maybe 50, 60 years ago to, to something that only weird old people from foreign <laughs> countries really, really uh, appreciate. And it's a shame because it's a... It's a very unique and interesting culture that has its own language, which is great. You know, that's one of the most exciting things about going the track is learning all the lingo, you know, and that relates to horses and relates to gambling. Basically what this book, the horse racing book, has in common with the Neil Young book is is it's about somebody who immerses himself in a subculture. And you actually had a share in a in a horse. A horse named Mocha Time was a five-year-old mare who ran... Uh, ran uh, uh, as a bottom claimer, which is sort of like the lowest rung of horse race. That's the only kind of horse I could have afforded. (laughs) It was lovely to speak to you, Kevin. Um, I'm so glad you came out. Um, Everyone, please uh, check out Beauty Plus Pity. Thanks, Megan. Thanks to Kevin Chong for joining us. And do check him out at the Writers' Festival. Starts next week. Um, He'll be at Vancouver Scene, S-E-E-N, puns, am I right? It's at the Waterfront Theatre, Tuesday the 18th at 8 p.m. And he'll be at Bamboo Lettering, Saturday the 22nd, 2 p.m., the review stage. Now, I know you check out our support every week, but definitely check us out again next week. I'll be live. I know you're excited. And we're also going to be talking more about the Writers Fest. Okay, thanks to Megan for that. She mentioned the uh, the Writers Festival, and that's coming from the 18th until the 23rd of October. Check out their web- their website, which is writersfest.bc.ca, because there are tons of events going on um, from author- authors 
from all over the world. So lots, uh, lots going on there. And uh, Beauty Plus Pity by Kevin Chong is out right now from Arsenal Pulp Press, and that is available for $17.95 Canadian, and in avail- it's available in fine bookstores now. So check that out. Okay, we've got one more feature for you on uh, the... Oh, right, sorry, sorry. Uh, we have to officially wrap up the books segment. Books, books, books. Well, that would have been awkward if we kept going with the show and not closed the uh, the books folder. That would have been bad. Uh, apologize for that. Okay, now we're officially done with books because we had the outro. We're having too much fun here. Uh, okay, we've got one more feature for you, and that's about Vagabond... Opera. Now, these guys are a group from Portland, Oregon, and they're very hard to sum up. Uh, so I'll try to do it from their official um, press release because it it's kind of poetic. Uh, and then we'll play a song because perhaps that might explain it best. Like surrealist Marcel Duchamp, packing an entire life's work into a suitcase, the Portland, Oregon troupe tucks the high drama of opera into the tight squeeze of the sexy cabaret. By turns sinister and seedy, sweet and nostalgic, the brainy, sultry band mashes up Eastern European folk theater and classical grandeur, hot club act and avant-garde klezmer jams, perky musicals and edgy absurdism. Now, doesn't that sound interesting? So they're very obviously a very eclectic band. So um, let's play a little bit from them before we speak to them about their show tonight at the Wise Hall. This track is called King of Gypsies.
Vagabond Opera there with the track King of Gypsies. The Portland group is on their way to Vancouver as we speak. I imagine they have probably crossed the border by now and are on their way to the Wise Hall here in Vancouver. Um, so I spoke to Skip Von Kuski of the band and I am, am and was um, fascinated to talk to him about how they make music. How do they uh, sort of chart their musical uh, course? Because it's so original. So so do they look to uh, another band for inspiration? Do they just improvise a lot and just kind of um, throw together whatever inspires them the moment of? So um, here's Skip to answer that question. Yeah, that's a, that's a truly interesting question. Well, you know, part of it is uh, we have four primary composers in the band um, that uh, that bring like a bunch of different elements and styles and um, for the better part of these last eight years we get together on a weekly basis and we try out new music um, we don't spend a lot of time re- rehearsing things that we've already learned the form of um, and the changes that take place in those songs happen spontaneously and through performance um, but since we're always learning new material, um, a lot of times things don't even get up, don't even make it off the cutting room floor. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, somebody sits down and goes, you know, I'm going to write a song in the style of Tom Waits right now or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's more a case of, hey, I was inspired by not being able to sleep in Greece and I wrote this song about it. Or I drank too much coffee and had a Cuban cigar and Portugal in it made me feel paranoid and I'll write a song about it or you know and and so um a lot of times like I find out what the songs are about a little bit after they've already been written (laughs) right um and uh but it's it's you know I think I think that we all just kind of draw from the collective experience of music and you know when you were younger uh in our younger days you'd have to buy a record or you'd hear something on a radio program that that spoke to you that made you go, wow, what is that music? And you would uh, painstakingly go to the library and look through the card catalogs for things of similarity. But now with the Internet, you pretty much have access to all different kinds of styles of music. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you filter it through your own consciousness and your own artistry. And that's, that's pretty much what Vagabond Opera does. I don't, I don't think we really think of ourselves as a genre-based uh, collective we just uh pick and choose the things that we uh admire and uh they come through the filter that is our musicianship Hmm. and and where do you get the confidence let's say to do that um do you kind of do all of you members of the band kind of just egg each other on to you know do you push each other to 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 make to find um you know, more and more avant-garde uh, influences um, and try out, you know, styles that I, are... You know, I'm not... I wouldn't really say that. I, you know, interestingly, um, Robin just wrote uh, a new song I spoke about not being able to sleep in Greece, and he wrote this song, yeah. and um, uh, we played it a couple times, and he's he got all kind of like, uh, I'm not sure this song is really working, and we're all like, we've only played it in front of people twice, you know, we've got to give it more of a chance. So, uh-huh. you know, sometimes we egg each other on and support each other in pieces that, you know, like maybe the composer isn't feeling wonderful about, but the rest of the band has already said, you know, oh, but well, we really think this is worth giving a try. So, uh, you know, it's part of 
I mean, any group of people is you, you encourage each other, and you you try to watch the backs of each other. <laughs> um, but it's it, it's uh, as far as egging on. Well, I, I think there have been times when Eric's been like, "Hey, I'd really like." You know, uh, at one point in our career, um, Eric really wanted to uh, us to do more Arabic music. They used a, uh, uh, a half lap and quarter tone scale. Um, he even had an accordion that he uh, uh, bent the tongs in so that he could play the quarter tone scale uh, on one of his reed settings. And so, that, you know, that's a, like extra effort, particularly for a classical cellist to, to you know to go to the I need you to play out of tune to play <laughs> into your thumb, that's, you know. Um, but, you know, so we do we do push each other and we'll, we'll, we'll share with each other the style of something that we're trying to accomplish in a particular song or, or whatnot. But, uh, but, no, everybody's, there's a lot of seekers in this band. And, you know, we all seek in different ways, like... Um, for instance, myself, I'm interested in spontaneous composition and and just playing the best solos I can, and then being um, a, an extra. I through this band, I wanted to be a good comp instrument as well because uh, we don't have a guitar. Um, leaving accordion as you know the primary chordal instrument hmm. um, in the band, so I've taken on a role of like kind of rhythm guitarist during singing and whatnot. But I do remain on the cello. Um, uh, other, you know, uh, other people are concentrate on the songwriting aspect, uh, or concentrate on you know learning uh, different styles from around the globe for playing their particular you know instrument or or for writing or the instrumentation that we yeah. have. Um, um, you know, we've also had some changes over the years with. Uh, personnel where we used to be a two saxophone one cello band now we're a two cello one saxophone band right. and uh, and the writers uh, tend to to write for you know who's who's there and who's playing so hmm. um, increasingly like old repertoire kind of finds its own way but new repertoire is very specifically thought about for how can I utilize the fact that we have two cellos um, or a saxophone or hmm. uh, you know or the fact that our bass player is also a uh, highly competent gypsy jazz guitarist so we we switch out instruments every once in a while and we you know are always just trying the next thing um, it just basically it just stays interesting that way always working on new material keeps you from getting to uh, stuck in one place yeah for sure. Well, we've quickly run out of time. Is there anything else you'd want to you'd want to add about uh, your upcoming show in in Vancouver, or just about the the band in general? Yeah. Well, um, we'd love to see people again. We were up here once before uh, at, at the venue, and uh, we had a wonderful time. People were so uh, warm. I think uh, our new album is the best thing we've done so far, and uh, this is our CD release. So um, come on out. Come on out, says Skip Von Kuski from Vagabond Opera. And they are at the Wise Hall tonight at 8 p.m., which is on Victoria and Adenac. And tickets are $20 and $23. And so you should check them out uh, there tonight. Their new album is called Sing for Your Lives. 
All right, so that is uh, the end of our program for this week. Uh, you've been listening to The Arts Report. We're on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. If you missed any of today's show, the podcast will be available in, uh, in about a couple hours or so. So thanks to uh, Jasmine, Jeannie, and Anna for helping to make uh, this show possible. And coming up next is Discorder Radio. See you next week. Oh, man.